The following is a podcast brought to you by Brett Swales and is affiliated with the Church of the Brethren, dedicated to continuing the work of Jesus peaceably, simply, together. The love of Jesus filling every heart. Welcome to the Walk in Jesus podcast. It's where we discuss practical, actionable steps for walking with Jesus in a Christian life without confusion, hassle, or stress. I'm your host, Brett Swales, so let's get moving. I'm speaking today with Galen Hackman. He's an ordained minister and an entrepreneurial leader who has served in various different churches as a pastor, a missionary, an author, a teacher, and a mentor. Currently, he provides training and coaching for pastors and congregations around issues of church vitality. He lives with his wife, Doris, in Akron, Pennsylvania. Good morning, Galen. How are you? Good morning, Brett. I am doing very well, thank you. And uh, thanks for the opportunity to be here on your podcast and to have a conversation together. Absolutely. Yes, I was... uh, Wondering what you were going to be uh, speaking about this morning. It's usually interesting. I know Galen. He's my mentor with the Church of the Brethren and has been immensely su- successful with dealing with me and, uh, and my issues over three classes uh, with the Church of the Brethren. And uh, what will you be talking about this morning? Well, Brett, one of the things that's on my heart a lot today is um, kind of the... Uh, the situation, the state in which many congregations find themselves uh, struggling with attendance and uh, kind of vitality issues, uh, healthy congregational ith- issues. So I've done, uh, I do I do different things with different churches, uh, different kinds of uh, coaching and uh, consulting. Sometimes it's a pastoral search situation, but what I really am interested in is helping congregations um, maintain vitality or recapture what might be lost vitality. You know, as they've been struggling, you know, with the pandemic, that certainly didn't help matters any. But most churches would admit that even before the pandemic, they were kind of struggling to stay afloat, so to speak. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Now you're not new to this. You've been. Uh, I have here licensed to the ministry and ordained in 1976. And from there, you served full-time pastorates before taking a break for four years to work with, I can't pronounce this. How do you pronounce this? Uh, The church in Nigeria is Ecclesia Yanawa Nigeria. I see. So you worked with the Church of the Brethren in Nigeria. Is that accurate? That's correct. I see. And (laughs) and after that, you you served at the Church of the Brethren as pastor at Conewago near Hershey in Ephrata, Pennsylvania. You left the pastoral ministry in 2015 to devote your time to working with congregations, as you said, in transition, uh, uh, coaching pastors, training leaders, and writing. Um, What else can you tell us? Well, what else about the work I'm doing, about who I am, or what? what? About the work you're doing. Uh, Very interested in that because we cover some of that, uh, you know, in in our sessions, and -hmm. I thought that the general public would be interested in that too because church vitality is definitely an issue today. Right, right. Well, obviously, if I was ordained in 1976, uh, I have a few years of experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) So... um, um, both working with churches here and abroad, and 
So what, I, what I'm noticing in congregations, um, by and large, is that there's four, there's four really critical areas, I think, that churches need to uh, look at. Uh, the first one is I, I say that churches have kind of lost this understanding that they are what I call a pneumatic community, pneuma being the Greek word for spirit, spirit mm-hmm. of God, uh, breath, wind, but, uh, but pri- the primary word for, for the being, um, uh, so uh, pneumatic community is a spiritual community. So, you know, churches aren't, they aren't institutions necessarily, they aren't organizations necessarily, they are organic, living, spiritual bodies, they're extension of the body of Christ, pneumatic communities. And so <clears throat> if we are essentially a spiritual community, then we are developed by spiritual means. I see. Not necessarily programmatic means, not necessarily, you know, the latest uh, gimmick or fad, but we, you know, churches have to really dip into the resources mm-hmm. God gave us to build up the body of Christ. Yeah, well, when you use the word pneuma, that's a Greek word, isn't it? That's right. Mm-hmm. I see. Okay. Mm-hmm. And when you're saying programmatic, you're talking about programs. Right, right. Okay, which a lot of churches are really, they live and die by the programs that they offer. Right, right. And and programs aren't wrong in and of themselves, but if they're an end to themselves, uh, they won't accomplish really what, what God's looking for in the church. Um, so um, uh, I think churches... Have, have like you say, you know, they live and die by programs. What's the latest activity we can create, the program mm-hmm. that we can create? And um, so that, that leads into a second struggle I think congregations are having, and it's this idea that um, our job is to keep people busy. Yes. They, they come to church, <clears throat> and we have to, <clears throat> excuse me, we have to somehow rope them into doing something for the church so that they become busy and active, and that somehow will result in their Christian growth and Christian maturity. And that just doesn't work. It doesn't equate. Busyness and maturity do not equate. Mm. Um, oftentimes you end up with people who end up, you know, who end up burned out and frustrated with the church, and then they're looking for another place where things might be different, hopefully. And so this idea of programs, keeping people busy, get them active, and this facade that an, that a healthy church is an active church, that is, it's got a lot of stuff going on mm-hmm. that requires a lot of people, and so, you know, even in the work world today, we have a, we have an, uh, you know, a labor shortage. Yes. Um, churches can never find enough volunteers to do all the things they think need to be done for them, and, um, so it's you know it's the old idea that kind of if you build it they will come kind of thing. And sure, that just doesn't work. Um, so rather than uh, I'm, actually people today are already too busy. Yes, and churches ought to be helping people slow down so they have time to delve into the practices that build spiritual qu- uh, qualities, and uh, you know the. Uh, tapping into the realm of the spirit, learning how to walk in the spirit, learning how to be empowered by the spirit, learning how to be transformed in our relationships by the spirit, uh, takes time. It's more of a crock pot than a microwave. Mm-hmm. If you know what I mean? Oh yes. Um, so anyway, uh, I think 
that's part of my concern for the church. Uh, yes. That we have this idea that bigger is better, faster is better, busier is better, more glitz is better, um, when in reality all that does is uh, fill our already full lives with more stuff. Yes. That doesn't necessarily equate to spiritual growth and spiritual maturity. Yes. So... Yes, I just did a uh, a podcast on the ABC Church, and that was taken from a book that you gave me. Mm-hmm. And uh, I thought that it was uh, quite profound. Uh, they talk about, uh, as as you are very well aware, uh, you know, the the chief uh, components of running a church being, you know, the attendance a, mm-hmm. uh, b the building and grounds, yeah. mm-hmm. and c what is c um, capital money. Cash on hand. That's yeah, right. Mm-hmm. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that kind of dovetails into what you're saying. Yeah, exactly. Uh, we have this inordinate love affair with facilities and the tangible things that we think make an organization great. <clears throat> and maybe if we were an organization, that might be true, but we're this living, organic body of believers who are tapping into the spiritual life given to us by the Lord. Um so no doubt we need a place to do our work and all that. I'm not saying buildings aren't important, mm-hmm. but we have this inordinate love affair with buildings. Yeah. It seems to me. Uh, mm-hmm. The buildings that many of our, church, our churches occupy today, in Africa, a building one quarter that size is servicing three to ten times the amount of people. Wow. Um, so... Seriously, you know, I, I've worked with churches in, in Nigeria that were, you know, several thousand people in attendance in a building much smaller than, you know, maybe even you worship in at East Kakaliko. Yes. Yeah. So anyway. Um, yeah. Speaking of which, uh, I understood through the grapevine uh, that constitutes the church that uh, Nigeria was a real, you know, turning point for you in, in your particular ministry. Yeah, it was. I, um, I I pastored for a number of years and was really burned out by it, um, which is another podcast in itself, maybe. Um, <laughs> and uh, thought I was going to leave the pastorate and go into teaching. Really? And we got the call to consider going to Nigeria to teach, which uh, we did and uh, ended up there um, because I was working with the church in an entirely different culture. I uh, was able to kind of see, I, I say that it, it, it forced me to consider what is essential Christianity and what are, what is my cultural baggage. Oh, yeah. And um, we have a lot of cultural baggage. Some of that is just the way life is because we represent a particular culture. But we need to know what is essential Christianity, what's the heart of it. Mm-hmm. And so while there, I felt a call back to ministry here in the States, but knew I couldn't approach it the way that I once did. That's wonderful. Uh, so the second, I, you know, the second half of my pastoral career was very different from the first half. I bet it was. I bet it was. Yeah, it says that after Nigeria, that you served uh, the Churches of Brethren, I, I already went through this, I think, uh, and that you left the pastoral ministry to devote your time to working with congregations then, and coaching and training leaders and writing. Is that most of what you do today? That's, yeah, that's what I do today. Mm-hmm. Okay, you're not in the pastorate today? 
No, occasionally I might, you might find me doing what's called an interim. Uh, I call them intentional interims. So sometimes a church that's between pastors realizes that before they run out and hire someone else, they should uh, spend some time doing some inward reflection and some assessment and some reshaping of things. And then I might serve as their pastor for a season while we work on issues like that. Mm Mm-hmm. But more recently, I, I do that with churches kind of from the outside without being uh, a pastor. There, I see. More as a coach or a consultant. And you frequently travel to Israel, it says, and some surrounding countries, uh, leading pilgrimages or for your own personal study and reflection. Uh how many trips have you made to the Middle East? Oh, uh, wow. Um, less than 10, but maybe, oh maybe nearly 10. I'd have to sit back wow. and count them. That's a lot of trips. Yeah, my <laughs> first one was as a student and uh, uh, in grad school, and it really changed my life, changed my understanding of Scripture and particularly the Old Testament. So that was in 1989, just before we went to, to uh, Nigeria, and then uh, I always felt like I wanted to help other people have that same experience. But it was maybe 10 years until I led my first group. So we've been over a number of times <clears throat> leading leading groups of people or a few times just uh, my wife and I and a friend or the last time I was there, my son and I went to do some uh, hiking. Yes. We, we walked from, uh, we walked from um, Nazareth to Capernaum. And then uh, spend about five days just walking the old city of of Jerusalem. I think I I heard you do that uh, presentation. You you made a presentation. Yeah, I probably did. Yeah, yeah and there were tons of pictures. And was that the uh, the uh, walk that was uh, particularly uphill? Well, there were sections of it that were very uphill yes yeah okay (laughs) of course fortunately there was the other side of the hill that was downhill then but um yeah there's some climbing involved with that yeah so it says here that uh and and i know this this is true this is kind of uh yeah that you're a regular teacher for the susquehanna valley ministry center in the acts program uh and that you serve as an adjunct faculty uh, member in practical theology at Evangelical Seminary in Myerstown. Uh, do you uh, enjoy your academic work? I do, and I should say the adjunct faculty thing is no longer in place. Uh, Evangelicals have gone through a transition of alignment with another seminary, and uh, so I don't think I'm on their list of adjunct anymore. Oh, I see. But, which is fine. Um, yeah, I do. I enjoy academic work. Yeah. But when we when I got I got burned out with the pastorate, I thought I would go finish my doctorate and teach somewhere, which would have been enjoyable. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the Lord had other plans. So you're not you you're not pursuing a doctorate at present. No. But you did write a book. I've written several books. Yeah, mostly for uh, for leadership training in Africa. Um, but um, yeah. Yeah, I had. Uh, uh, before I got involved with the ministry, uh, I was very involved with English as a second language. Mm-hmm. And for one reason or another, they would always assign me Chinese students. I got one guy who was a Ph.D. in quantum chemistry, and he was marvelous. And uh, then I got a young lady 
who was a beginner in English and really had not had the benefit of the Chinese academic system. And it was, you know, very, very interesting to, uh, to mentor them in the intricacies of the, uh, of, uh, our society here. They're, mm-hmm. they're very, uh, you know, uh, unaware of a lot of things, uh, cultural things, especially, mm-hmm. you know, that, that pass in China that don't pass here and vice right. versa. Right, right. Yeah, so I imagine you saw the same kinds of things. I've been wanting to ask you, uh, in Nigeria, were you impacted by the depth of spirituality that you, you encountered among the Nigerian people? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Nigeria is... Um, Culturally, it's a religious culture, so everyone has a kind of God-focused worldview, whether they're Christian, Muslim, or animist, as far as that goes. So you live in this culture where um, talk about faith and, and religion is just commonplace. You don't have, you don't have to hesitate mm. to, to talk about that with anybody anywhere. because no, Not considered proselytizing? No, or? no. It's, wow. uh, that's the worldview over there. So that's the one thing. And the other thing is, um, uh, now it's 25 years since we lived in Nigeria, but it's still considered kind of a developing community. And the years we lived there, you know, medical care wasn't the best and, and all of that. And so um, people, the economy was weak. Mm-hmm. Uh, jobs weren't plentiful. People lived on a dime, so to speak. And so the first thing we noticed is how people lived with a dependence upon God. Oh, how interesting. And, you know, when, uh, like the 23rd Psalm begins, the Lord is my shepherd, I will not lack. They believed that what they needed would be provided for them. Um, and uh, so they lived with a deep dependence upon God because often they didn't know where to turn for anything anyway. Right. Um, and that was that was very impactful, yeah. Um we, you know, we live on, we, we live with a dependence upon, you know, our society to provide for us what we need. Mm-hmm. You know, our job is going to give us money or our pension or our social security. And the grocery store will have food that we need to go buy. And when I have a medical need, my doctor will be there. Right. Well, in Nigeria, you didn't have any of those guarantees. Wow. Um, so you live differently. Yeah, the Chinese uh, that I ran into, the uh, the PhD, uh, I had talked to him for about six months, and finally one day he he leaned in on his elbows uh, at the table we were at, and uh, he looked at me and he said, can I tell you something very, very private? And I had no idea where he was going with this, and I, I hesitantly said, you know, yes, sure, go ahead. And he said, I became a Christian mm-hmm. last week. Mm-hmm. And that his faith, the depth of his faith, was just moved me to my very core. I get uh, tingles running down my back, you know, talking about it. Uh, and I've often thought of the Nigerian experience, you know, for you and whether you had experienced mm-hmm. the same. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, different cultures, you know, approach it in such a different way, and it's refreshing. Right. Uh, you know, when you said there's no proselytizing, you know, there was tension between Christians and Muslims in mm-hmm. that 
you know, if a Christian converted to Islam or a Muslim converted to Christianity, there was tension in that regard. And, um, you know, sometimes, um, you know, village uprisings over the tension between the two faiths. But in recent years, the last decade or so, they've, they've experienced persecution at the hands of a, of a terrorist group claiming to be Muslim. I'm not sure they were, were very Muslim. But, um, you know, one of these extremist uh, groups that were trying to impose their will upon the people. And there's been a lot of um, devastation, a lot of loss. Uh, um, yeah. Yeah. And that would be Boko Haram? Yes, it? that's correct. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, we hear about that in the news. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So this goes on. And they have to live with that. And uh, the uh, it 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 strikes me as kind of kind of odd, I guess, that uh, the people of Nigeria. I hear that um, you know they they consider our stance on peace to be very very interesting to them. Mm-hmm. And also the impact they went from somewhere around a hundred thousand members in their church, uh, and they then brought in their own music to the services and they grew and grew and grew and grew until now today it's closing in if not surpassing a million people mm-hmm. uh, as members of the church um, yeah church of the brethren you're talking about because yeah there's, there's mm-hmm. many other denominations as well mm-hmm. okay yeah that's true mm-hmm. yeah so lots of uh, lots of reasons to not be a Christian yet Yet the church persists. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very interesting. So what else do you have there for us? Uh, well, that's, uh, you know, pretty much what kind of captures what I'm doing today. The other thing I do is um, work with pastors individually, not sometimes. Sometimes I'm connected with their congregation, but uh, other times I'm just more or less a leadership coach for them on a one-on-one basis, um, helping them think through the challenges of pastoral ministry and the like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're you're doing that with me, mm-hmm. and it's been very helpful. I've been stuck on a particular issue now for a, a little while, and you've been very helpful uh, evaluating it for me and uh, you know giving me your perspective. No, thanks. Been very helpful, yeah. We all get stuck sometimes. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that we've had a very good interview so far, and uh, I want to thank you very much for it, um, and hope that we can do this again sometime. Uh, yeah, I'd be glad to be of service. Yep. Uh, particularly if there's a theme you want to discuss or jump into, or you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, I want to say that you've been listening to our guest, Galen Hackman of Akron, Pennsylvania. This podcast was brought to you by Brett Swales and is affiliated with the Church of the Brethren, dedicated to continuing the work of Jesus peacefully, simply, and together. We'd like to thank you for your time and your effort. Thank you so much.